Hi, everyone. It's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. We have a very, very special guest today. She has a very solid Instagram presence and a very robust YouTube channel. I learned how to split filter print from her YouTube channel. And to think, in grad school, she was very iffy on taking photography as a filler course. We'll get to her in just a sec. Roll the theme music. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. And today I'd like to welcome Lena Bessanova to the show. Hi, Lena. How's it going? Hi, uh, it's going great. How are you guys? I'm doing great. So, uh, for those living under a rock or been in witness protection in a cellular and internet dead zone, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you wound up here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know the dreaded the dreaded question you get from HR. It's like when you yeah. join join a company. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm like, uh. <laughs> well, it depends for which job uh, I want to audition right now. Well, uh, yeah, true. Yeah. So is it a teaching job? Is it an artist job? Is it a social media, whatever thing? Um, so each one of those has a different story, I guess. Yeah. How about who is Lena, the photographer? Yeah. Who is Lena, the photographer? Oh. That's that's the most difficult one because about teaching, I could have said, I could have listed my universities and experience and said. Well, here at the Classic Camera Revival, we ask these super in-depth questions. So get ready. <laughs> okay. Um, Lena, the photographer, is someone who's absolutely in love with her uh, camera. Mm, I have many cameras, but one I'm particularly in love with. It's my Yashica D. It's my first camera. And hopefully the last, if it survives long enough. And uh, unlike digital cameras, um, analog cameras, they do survive. So I'm hoping for that very much. And um, uh, Lena, the photographer, is always looking for um, uncommon things that are common but uncommon. Something that you would walk by and not necessarily look at. But if you look at it, you think... Oh, that's actually very, um, you know, mundane, but pretty. Mm -hmm. And then you keep on walking and thinking about something else. So I like catching those moments. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. So is that sort of the way that you, you see the world? And I guess like that, it certainly um, reminds me of your, your series, uh, A Place in Between. Um, is that where a lot of that, that comes from? Like things that we we easily forget. And then so many other interferences with life uh, happen. And then you yes. capture that in a photograph and then you reveal the magic again. Is that, mm. is that, does that make it, sense to you? Or Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was really surprised when I was starting to photograph and let's say that style, I thought no one would understand it. I myself did not understand it fully in the beginning. Because sometimes you just have to make an X amount of photographs in order to have a certain style and a certain vision. And uh, I don't remember, but someone very famous said that your first 10,000 photographs are your worst. I think it was Cartier-Bresson, but I uh, don't remember. Uh, so if it was not him, I'm sorry. But uh, I guess I went past through those 10,000 photographs. And recently I found my first photographs, my first prints. They're horrible. Uh, absolutely horrible they're so they're the, the, they're so yeah uh ordinary you know <laughs> i don't know they're ordinary in a bad sense like here is a cat here is a tree here's a mountain here's a cute house and here's the cat again um so once i got past this uh i started yeah looking at the more um unobvious things and i thought that no one would like would like them but i kept photographing um, yeah, I thought no one would understand this, but then very surprisingly, when, um, I had exhibitions and people came to me and they said, oh, this image is about this, or this image is about that. And I was like, how do you know? Or this image has this certain sense of like melancholy and loneliness. Is it about this? And I was like, how do you know? So I guess it somehow works. 
that people understand what I'm trying to say. And what those images are also about is, is just about living in the moment, because we think that life is our biggest memories. It's um, our big boom, bang events, but it's not true. Life is maybe even a trash bin that you walk by every day. That might be more of your life than a big boom, bang event. Okay, trash bin is a little exaggerated, <laughs> but a certain, I don't know, some pipes which are hit by the sun in a beautiful way each day. And you don't look at them because they're nothing special, but they are special if you look at them. Yeah, that that's incredible. So it sounds to me like you you you're you have walked or are probably continuing to walk this journey of where you can take sort of the literal sense of an image and then interpret it and or see the interpretation some way. And then you seem to be, at least in my opinion, which probably isn't worth anything, but um, well, maybe a little bit. I don't know. But you really can speak <laughs> your your ability to uh, relay the message to the viewer is you're incredibly successful at it. Um, you know, like I looked at the few sets on, on your website and, and really the place in between spoke to me uh, because I really think there is beauty in the mundane and we tend to focus on everything that is wrong in the world uh, and look for I guess, complex beauty and sophisticated beauty when we are surrounded by the most simple, beautiful, elegant things that could be a trash can, that could be some pipes, that could be a blade of grass because it's it's sort of a, a mixture of, of nature and man-made objects and, and things like that. So I got to say, you, your work is it's truly, truly inspired me. And I, I'm curious how much truth there is to that that interpretation. What was your journey like from moving to the literal to the interpretive side of your work? Um, well, I was uh, in my master's program uh, in Florence. I was doing an MFA in photography because I thought that um, it's a good shortcut. You don't have to get a PhD afterwards and you can already teach at university, which I never got to in the end. But I thought this is, if you get a degree, at least you can use it in the worst case or in the best case. But anyway, I haven't yet been invited by any universities to teach, just to say, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will get the word out there for you. <laughs> Well, uh, but anyway, I have I was getting this degree and uh, the, it was interesting and difficult at the same time. I had really wonderful professors and they were pushing me to experiment, but they were pushing me to experiment with the medium. So since it was a photography degree, it meant that photography can be intermixed with sound installation, with painting, or going into the digital or whatever. And I was the only one who was saying, I'm absolutely not experimenting. I'm not touching a digital camera. I'm not uh, touching, I don't know, pottery. I'm not sculpture because the school offered all of this. I said, I'm only doing darkroom. I came here to learn how to print. And the first year that was it. I was just, I closed myself in the darkroom. I literally did not go out completely at all. I didn't socialize. I made absolutely no friends. And then I did. But at first I did not because I didn't talk to anybody. Um, yeah. And I just focused on being able to print well because photography, taking photographs, it was already, let's say, um, easy. At this point, I was doing a large format and it teaches you very well to control what you're doing. Absolutely. So I guess this part was already off the table. Then I wanted to learn how to print. And then at some point I reached uh, a state where my prints were good. Because of course, if you like <laughs> spend those 10,000 hours, I guess I went somewhere to like three or 4,000 hours. I, I made a calculation somewhere, I have to say. <laughs> I actually counted how many hours I spent in the darkroom. And I guess at this point, uh, at some point, this quantity went into quality. Okay, so I could photograph in a way that I like, and I can print in a way that expresses what I want to say, or yeah. And, and then what do you do? You know, when you have the skills, so what do you do? You, you, you can't keep photographing cats and mountains. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not referring to the beautiful large format photographs of the mountains. I'm talking about, you know, those uh, snapshots. It's actually, I'm referring to my first role of film. Uh, <laughs> it was in the Swiss mountains. It was an in inter interlaken. Uh, that's where I, I showed it. That's why I'm referring to mountains. Um, so not the Ansel Adams level, of course. And uh, yeah, so you have this and then you're stuck because what do you photograph? Uh, a lot of... Um, Photographers, they go, well, they go several ways. One way to go is uh, fashion, for example, because it pays well. And I was doing street fashion before, back when I lived in Switzerland, uh, when I was doing my bachelor. I was shooting street fashion for fashion bloggers. It was really nice. I liked it. It paid uh, a bit. So it was all cool, but there was no depth in it. Then you can, of course, do reportage and you can do it amazing too. You can do both fashion and reportage and weddings and everything. You can do it fantastic. And there are people who do true art with it. I'm just not one of those people. I don't have talent for this. Um, another option is, of course, if you want to establish yourself as a serious photographer, uh, let's say the shortcut to it is social issues. Uh, like uh, in Europe, the biggest social issue is, of course, immigration. So you target some group that has immigrated, you do. Um, that is what is offered to all the students who don't know what to do uh, as their final project. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, let's say, it's complex enough, but it's also easy enough, you know, and you can, you can get a story out of there. And it, there is always some heartbreaking, some really difficult stories. And it's good that people are documenting this, but again, it's just not, not my thing. I'm yeah. not a documentary photographer. I'm not a good one. So all of this option off the table, what do you do? <laughs> and yeah, I just literally had this um, kind of crisis. And then what helped is that in Florence, I moved to a different apartment. The first apartment I rented in Florence was in a more narrow street and there was never direct sunlight. And then I moved to a different one and there was such beautiful light coming from the windows that one day I was just sitting at home and looking at it and thinking, wow, I see it every single day. And it's so beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, how the light is just simply going through the curtains. There is so much beauty in it. And um how I saw it, like with this light and everything, I just, I was like, that's it. I need to photograph it. And I just photographed this light and I photographed a bit around this apartment. And my first photographs were simply in this apartment. And uh, I thought, wow. So I actually don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to have any social issue going on. I don't have to have a topic. It's just expressing how I'm feeling. And I found out that in my apartment, I can find things that resonate with me at this moment. At this moment, I was in a, let's say, not perfect uh, emotional state for various reasons. And for example, I saw my iron. I'm ironing on my bed because I didn't have an ironing board. So next to the bed was standing the iron and the plug was still on the bed. And I thought, huh, it's like, it looks like slightly like unplugged first of all like nirvana unplugged album and second of all it's also like you have no current you have no energy in life you don't know where to go and I was like that that just speaks to me and then oh, I started uh, and then pipes started talking to me too <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, yeah that is an in, that's an incredible incredible story for sure excellent yeah. Yeah, how just sunlight. Well, I can continue on this because uh, I learned how to print properly, which means you have a point of black, you have a point of white, and then everything else is distributed in between properly. And this is how I was properly printing. Um, and then once I was always in the dark room on my own. And then once another girl came and I was not happy. Um, because she was interfering. I mean, she was very nice, but I was not alone anymore. And she was printing something and I was so mad that she's there and she's in my way. I'm sorry, whoever recognizes herself, <laughs> but it continues well because um, I think that she also was printing the same size as me or something. And basically her print went on top of mine and I didn't flip it uh, face down. And so the developer did not go on my print very well. And then I pulled it out 
Mm-hmm. We went to fixer and this girl already left. And I looked in the fixer and of course it was underdeveloped and it was so bright. There was this like white, which was taking half of the image. And I thought, wow, this is so beautiful. <laughs> the, uh, why have I never printed like this before? This is something like, I want. this photograph is glowing. And, and then I reprinted absolutely everything I printed before. I, and now how I print, I always print properly. Then I look at it. I'm like, Mm-mm. and then I print lighter and lighter. Usually the next day <laughs> I come back, not light enough, trash. <laughs> next one. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I have noticed the real lightness in, in more of your recent work, I think, yeah, uh, or yeah. the, the stuff that's on your, on your website, there, there's such a light, the contrast is very um, controlled, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, and and it, it's it's almost optimistic the the feeling yeah. that you get uh, from from of those course. images, yeah. And uh, wow, that's incredible. It seems like you're really um, an immersive type of photographer. Like you have to be surrounded by the world. Like whatever the moment you're in, you want to reproduce. Like you want to be surrounded by the light. You want to be yes. when you're in the dark room. That's like your fortress of solitude. Almost it seems. Is, is that, does that really, uh, is that how you sort of do your best work, I guess? Yes. Alone. Yes. Yeah. I need, I mean, I can't, I, I of course can print properly when there are other people around. Uh, it's not a problem, but of course it's not as fun uh, because when I'm alone, uh, my dark room is uh, on the first floor of a very old building and the uh, walls are very thick. So I don't disturb anyone if I'm playing music really loud. And that is, of course, helping. <laughs> and not everyone likes my playlist. So I think this also excludes some people <laughs> from being next to me. Hey, nothing like some good, cool 70s rock to some yeah. heavy metal to get the creative juices flowing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But trust me, there is also some pretty horrible pop music. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you played Britney Spears in your darkroom? Is that what yes, you're trying course. to say? Of course. Yes, yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I'd like to say that I haven't put Taylor Swift on once or twice in my darkroom, but I would be lying if I said that. So, um, okay. Yeah, I can't believe I just said that uh, to, uh, yeah. to whoever's going to listen to this. But <laughs> we room. never knew about you, James. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm just sitting here going, wow, you know, my playlist is like, 60s and 70s soul played really loud <laughs> but really loud huh? everyone loud, yeah? Yeah. oh yeah. yeah yeah gotta eliminate the distractions so you are your approach has been really a, a master the technical uh, aspect of photography before the artistic um wh- why do you think that has given you the success um that you've experienced and do you, would you recommend the same approach to photographers that are just learning the craft? Depends. I think it works for me because I have to be confident in what I'm able to do. Um, That, that is for everything. If I go out and I say something, I want to know what I'm saying. I want to have some sources that back me up. I don't like, just talking my opinion we no one none of us has an opinion which is completely objective none of us has an opinion which is the truth it's kind of that that's how it is it is formed by something so i prefer always having solid background on everything i do or not do it at all or 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 openly say i'm not a professional in this so um if someone just wants to play around in the dark room and see what comes out, it's also great. I'm not going to say you have to lock yourself in the dark room for two years and only then you will be allowed to present your work to the world. It's not true. Whatever makes you happy, you should do it. And if it's the dark room with loud Taylor Swift uh, or or <laughs> or anything else, um, or Justin Bieber, let's. Uh, hey. I don't have Justin Bieber in my dark room though. Well, well now that you've saying. been on a Canadian podcast, you have to at least put one Justin Bieber song on in your in your okay. dark room. <laughs> no, it's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> Come on, he's not that bad. I won't give uh, an opinion here <laughs> in case there's any Bieber fans, <laughs> but let's just say he's not really my favorite. 
Well, not mine either. No one was accusing you of that, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but uh, anyway, so if someone wants to play some loud music and wants to have a reason to escape from this world, to uh, to escape maybe from the 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 realities of this world and and just have fun and maybe have some absolutely. Uh, you know, some prints are horrible. Some prints are successful. You don't know exactly why, but this is the magic of it. Let it be. So not everyone has to be so paranoid as paranoid as me. I guess it also comes partially from insecurities because such approach is not doing anything unless you're totally sure of what you're doing. It also doesn't lead far, I have to say. You spend a lot of time on this preparation. I just have been lucky, I guess, enough and stubborn enough, but maybe I could have started just playing around and maybe, maybe I would have done more creative work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just a character trait. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I think everybody has to march to the beat of their own drum. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it anything that you do to develop passion for it, you have to enjoy it mm-hmm. and you have to enjoy it. And if you, if you have the ability, I think to, approach it in a way that works for you, then that is the right way. You know, the the product, the print, the image, the whatever you're doing will come. And ultimately, I think, you know, as artists, we struggle with um, uh, being satisfied with our own work. You know, uh, that, that, that for me anyway, and, it's, and I see a lot of nodding heads here. So how do you feel about your work? I think I reached a point where I like it. But it's been a long journey. So, <laughs> but finally, last week, exactly, I was in uh, Florence. Actually, I came back yesterday. So last week I was there and I was sorting all my prints. And I have a box with all the prints, which are those square six by six from the very first ones from this unplugged. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was about to say vacuum cleaner, iron, <laughs> to the most recent ones. And I just went through them one by one and I thought, hey, I'm not a bad photographer. I actually like my work. If I saw it somewhere, I would like it. And that that's nice. That, that's that a good is, feeling to have. It yeah. sure is. Yeah, that's a great feeling to have. Yeah, it has not always been there. Um, <laughs> at some point, at some point, you I think you have to allow yourself to like your work. You do. Mm-hmm. You do. Yeah. Absolutely. So at this point, um, where did you kind of get into YouTube? Like I see you for me, you're a pioneer in the whole female led YouTube channel, film photography stuff. Uh, Like I've been watching you for years um, and you're actually part of the inspiration for me to have started my own channel. So I'm just wondering where you got your inspiration from. Like, who did you look up to back then? No one. (laughs) <laughs> there was literally no one. You were the beginner. Beginner, you were the first one, so that's awesome. Um, I guess I was the first one. I I actually think I might have been the first one. I didn't think of that. Um, with YouTube, well, with YouTube again, how it all started. Very long story. Here we go. Um, I have a blog in Russian, uh, which I have since ten years or more. And it's nothing interesting. It's not about photography. It's just about daily stuff. And it's, uh, it's still active, but I'm just writing there to have a memory. Anyway, I had this blog there and um, a lot of people were leaving this platform in favor of YouTube, but it was more like lifestyle, you know, and I was following girls. So it was like makeup videos, travel videos, all this kind of stuff. And I was always somehow envying them that they can be so confident in front of the camera because I was not confident at all. And I said, okay, I'm setting myself a challenge. Uh, I'm going to publish one video a week about something, something. uh, And I will just sit in front of the camera and I will record it. And that's what I'm going to do. And since I had people who I told this, it was like, I'm holding myself accountable. They're holding me accountable. So here we went. My first video, it it was in Russian, all of it. And it was nothing connected to photography. Photography has not, I think, has it started? Yes, yes, I already had blue hair, but I didn't take it that seriously yet. Uh, and I was talking about some absolutely random, stupid stuff. So trust me. But it was a training to sit in front of the camera, look at the camera, and just speak. 
uh, and to have, let's say, what you want to say, to have a plan, to kind of work on it. And my first videos were horrible. Then they got better. Then they got better. And then eventually I was already like, Duck, I'm um, turning on the camera and I'm just talking. So that 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 helped really tremendously. So when I got more seriously into photography, I decided, okay, I want to do photography. Um, yeah, it was a more natural step to take. But without this prior training, uh, I was terrified of the camera. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. I had like face spasms <laughs> the first video. <laughs> and I was like, uh. And you come off so natural. Like you have just yeah. such a wonderful way of talking to your audience that is you're you're clearly in your own skin and you're very confident. And I mean, you have taught so many of us so much about printing in the darkroom and, you know, even just photography about ourselves and everything that, uh, you know, I, I, your channel is one of the ones that I do watch regularly. Thank so thank you. I'm glad you started. <laughs> Wholeheartedly agree with that statement. It, it, you're, you have such a, a relatable personality uh, on your YouTube channel and the videos that, uh, and the way that you break the work down and the technique um, makes it, so easy to understand you know um uh, and there's very few youtubers i think that really can you know give you something you know in five to seven minutes that you're like yes i can now i can go in my dark room and i can i can try this and you know i can go through three or four different times and i'll get it it'll it'll work i know what to do step by step now so yeah i mean you're you you, you may not have started off as a pro but you are definitely a pro now well, I'm, I'm trying, of course, in terms of production, mo most YouTubers, I think now do much better than I do because I absolutely hate video editing. But my main drive is actually this one that I couldn't find on YouTube what I would like to see there. And I didn't want to be the only um, child on the playground. I wanted more people to come and to be able to play with me because yeah there is um, there are books about analog photography but i have to say most of them were written back in the days and they're written in a very old language mm. in a very old style so it makes it slightly difficult for younger generations to understand and i knew exactly which difficulties i had when i was starting so i really simply wanted to make other people's lives better that was my biggest goal. And to be honest, if I had more time for this, if I really dedicated more time to this, I would love to do more because there is so absolutely so much you can learn. You can, you can just, yeah, give to people, but every single video, it takes, it takes a lot. Of, it takes yeah. a lot. Oh, great. Like, again, it's like, I think it's because my learning style sort of coincided in how you explained it, getting back to how you basically taught split filter printing for basically pleasantly mediocre, talented darkroom hacks like myself. <laughs> printing, that is. Uh, I really enjoyed it because I, I had looked at an Ilf, a, a video on the, uh, on the Ilford channel and I just sort of sat there going, okay, uh, let's play that back. Whereas you just sort of explained it so simply. And what I also love about your channel is you go into almost the, you sort of shine a spotlight on the technology behind film photography, like especially with the, uh, the, um, the uh, tour and sort of in-depth breakdown of the ADOX plant in Switzerland and how, how every, how this, how the proverbial sausages are made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was very interesting for me as well. Because again, it's sort of like, it's sort of like uh, for us, it's like, oh, what's the technology behind all this and what makes it real with both film and paper? Okay. I don't know if uh, the, the plant in Switzerland is exclusively doing paper or they're also doing a film run there as well. But uh, again, it was, an, it was a very well thought out video on how explaining how it all comes together and i also love your most recent one and we're uh, going through the different styles of black and white film between cubic and uh t-grain and the science behind it 
It was fun. It was fun to make. Thank you. I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy. It's useful. <laughs> yeah. We're just happy to know that you are also a nerd, just like us. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're not alone. Also, I totally love your t-shirt. Silver halides are girl's best friend. Oh my God. I was so I, proud when I came up with this. <laughs> I was like, why did no one come up with this yet? But it's, yeah, it was so obvious when I started because this video, I recorded it two or three times, I think. And each time I rewrote everything completely because I would find some other information and some other patent, which would be saying something else. And I have to say, I could have recorded it again. And just at some point I said, okay, in this video, I look really cute. I have those curls and I'm like, I'm not going to do my hair this nice again. So I'm just publishing this. But I have to say that if I had to re-record it, I could put even more information in there. I just thought, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell us about the blue hair. It seems to be your kind of signature sort of uh, um, image, I guess. Is there is there any significance to the blue? You know, unlike many other things, no. There is absolutely no meaning. You just like it. <laughs> yes. Um, I did. I wanted to have my hair pink so many years ago. Wait, uh, uh, 12 years ago, I think. 12 years ago. Anyway, yeah, 12 years ago, I was um, living in a wonderful city, not so wonderful anymore, Moscow. And uh, I was clubbing and I was not doing much with my life, I have to say. Um, I was studying not very well and I had those long fake blonde hair and fake tan and everything you can imagine. Um, so it was like this uh, zero years glamour a little bit retarded because it was already 2010 or so. But <laughs> anyway, so at some point I just got fed up with clubbing because you just go to those clubs and there are the same people, the same photographers, yeah, the same, same, same digits. It's like, and you have to pretend and you have to kind of be, yeah, try to be cool and whatever. And in just one day, it just clicked in my head. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I actually, I always, what I always wanted, I always wanted to have tattoos. I always wanted to have those bright pink or whatever hair. It's just, I was not kind of allowing myself to do this because I have to say, I did look good <laughs> even with this like blonde glamorous stuff. And I also knew that if you do this, I mean, it was Russia. So it was really and and 12 years ago, there was no one with pink hair in the streets. No one. Absolutely. And I knew that it would be difficult for me to live like this. And it did become difficult for me to live like this because people were pointing fingers. Children were pointing fingers. Everyone was like, people were pulling my hair to try. Really? If it, it's real. Yes. Wow. I mean, I couldn't even go in the subway without everyone turning their heads. Well, now it's fine everyone has colored hair but 12 years ago it was crazy but I just somehow I knew that that's what I want to do I was looking at all those tattooed girls from America with the bright hair and I was just I was young and I guess it left some impression on me yes yes I just thought wow that that that's just fun and uh, I did my pink hair and then once uh there was no um uh, pink was very hard to maintain. So I moved to purple. And one day there was no purple in the store. And there was this blue color, which seemed purple in the, in the jar. And I bought it and I put it on and it was dark blue. And I just was, wow, I look amazing. And at the same time, I kind of started this YouTube channel and stuff. And everyone started recognizing me by my blue hair. And now I kind of can't get rid of well, it. Your, your, yeah. your blue hair is now, is now an icon. So that, that's yeah. awesome. Good for you. Yeah. That's incredible. So, you know, as you were, as you were uh, telling that story, um, I was thinking that like, you have this gift for finding beauty in the mundane yeah. uh, in, in your images. Do you think that is because you sort of, and as we all did, we go through that sort of very superficial stage of our life where you want to, fit in you want to dress a certain way you want the mm -hmm. fake tan you want the big hair whatever whatever it is do you think that that has given you a greater appreciation of the everyday beauty and things having you know like perhaps having ignored that for part of your life and then real coming to the realization that hey, this is really interesting beautiful cool stuff has that was that just, you know did that have any was that any 
real. I'm definitely happy I did go through that stage where I was trying to fit in and I guess succeeded to some extent. Um, Yeah, it's just afterwards, after you fit in for a while and you realize it's just not you, you're not afraid to not fit in anymore. Whereas if you never fit in, you just don't realize that fitting in is very boring. (laughs) <laughs> you have you have to fit in a little bit <laughs> to see that there is not much value in this i mean if clubbing is your profession if you're a professional dj if you're a dancer if you're a nightclub sure. owner it is it opens possibilities for your creativity and it's definitely something worthy but if you're just going there f- to validate your looks mm-hmm. or whatever self-worth right yeah, it's it's not worth it. And right now, I guess clubbing is not that popular. I don't know. I didn't, don't really go clubbing, of course, anymore. Sure. Uh, yeah, because I like sleeping at night. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like sleeping at four o'clock in the afternoon some days. <laughs> Ooh, you would totally fit in in Italy. <laughs> yeah, yes, I would. <laughs> because I also like to eat everything I can set my eyes on, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> So question, um, are you more inclined to photograph what's in, are you, it's funny, I have friends who are photographers who really only take photos when they're, they're doing trips, like they're landscape photographers, they'll, they'll go like, oh, I'm going to Patagonia to photograph the landscape, whereas there are others that are just, yeah, I'm just going to put around my neighborhood. Uh, what if, uh, where do you fall on that scale? Mm, well, on trips, I just have more time to photograph. Yeah. But if, for example, you would tell me, oh, you have a show in two weeks and you have to have a like coherent visual, whatever, representation of your work. And mm-hmm. let's say you have to have 20 works and they have to all look good together. And I lay out my 15 works and there are five missing. I will take my camera, I'll go out. And by the evening, I'll come back with images that will fit. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, if it's a photogenic city mm-hmm. uh, with beautiful light, that's what's most important. It's not It's not about the beauty of the city. It's not about architecture. Of course not. It is about the light. So for instance, in Florence, light is so beautiful. The sunset light is just out of this world. It's, it's not relevant for black and white, but it's pink. It's peach pink. And, mm. it's, and it creates so many beautiful, beautiful shadows that you can just come up with great photographs just like this. Mm, basically mm. a Kodak Ektar uh, sunset. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Pretty yes. much. Yeah, I. it's funny. I, I did a trip to New York City uh, 10 years ago, and it was like, I think for four of the five days, it was utterly gray and gloomy weather. And it was like any... I say a more beginning photographer looked at it going, ah, the light's so bad. And I just looked at it going, yeah, black and white all the way, grittier the better. And we'll yeah. just play with what we've got because yeah. how often are you going to get back there? So you work with it. And the final day, it was so sunny. It was like, it was like the weirdest, clearest sunny day in New York City in early May. And you're like, ooh, okay, we've got to make the best of it. <laughs> because it's like how often are you going to get back there and again you can make the results work but it lighting it it, yeah it's weird uh we're in sort of a humid environment so in the summertime it gets a little hazier Mm -hmm. compared to say maybe florence uh and maybe there's still you know pollution in the air from you know basically industrial and cars that plays a factor. And I think Florence maybe being a more of a pedestrian friendly city, the light's cleaner. Definitely. Mm. But it's also about the mood. Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain also desire to photograph. I photograph for myself, extremely little, super little. We went on a trip to Cuba for 10 days and I came back with uh, three and a half rolls. I couldn't even finish the fourth roll. Wow. Yeah, because... I mean, yes, it's very pretty. Everything is very pretty, very nice, extremely photogenic, gorgeous, but it's not my style. So mm-hmm. why do I, I, I'm not supposed to shoot absolutely everything that's pretty. 
So no, I found no. a couple of, uh, yeah, not trash bins, palm trees this time. <laughs> Shadows <laughs> of the palm trees. There you go. Yeah. Do you find yourself to be more a more effective photographer when you're given a parameter or an assignment for work? Or is do you kind of just sort of have your own visions that are more organic, like that you think of yourself? Well, you know, if it's a paid job, I will do whatever will whatever please the, client wants, the yeah. person who pays. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. As, as simple as that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm not gonna start being like, oh, I'm an artist. I see it this way. No, I mean, if you if you're paying, you're getting it is, what you It is for. the toughest lesson learned by professional photographers out there, and well, professional artists. It's you, yeah. when you're getting paid, it's about the client first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I, I find this good because if I can make someone happy, yeah, in any way, I mean, and get paid on top. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's interesting. You know, one of the most, um, uh, uh, I think, valuable videos that I've ever seen of yours was on um, on the sensitivity curves of film. And, and it's something that I always refer people that ask me about how to like, you know, what should you think about when you select film? I'm like, you've got to go on YouTube and search Lena Basanova's uh, sensitivity curves video because it's going to give you uh, so much information in about five or seven minutes about how a film will perform in certain light conditions. Aside from that, is there anything else that you think about when you are selecting a film for a particular uh, uh, shoot or job or you know whatever your output, uh, you know your desired output is? Well, I guess I tried most of the films that are there on the market and it's just intuitive you know it's uh, you, you're thinking okay i'm going to go there there the light is extremely harsh maybe i should get like a flatter film of course again you can make a film look flat if you overexpose and underdevelop or if you just use a developer like extol d76 or something but i just don't yeah it's it's uh you can do this, but also film plays a role because there are films which, like roll eye films, they are simply contrasty. Whatever you do to them, you can, yeah, develop them in the softest, most compensating developer, and still it will have more contrast than a Delta Hundred. Is just intuitive, but honestly, I have just my films that I know how they work. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I just choose between those. So it's I think Delta that's... films and uh, T Max. I think that's an excellent approach because, you know, I find a lot of people, especially when they're, I, I think with the, the film photography world today, there's so much going on. I mean, you know, for, for a, uh, like a, a community or whatever you want to call it, an industry where you're seeing a lot of product lines shrinking, there's also so many variations of films and there's still a lot of chemistry and all kinds of different techniques and things that are out there. Um, I, I always tell people that, you know, I think it makes sense to really limit yourself on what you're going to work with because there's just too much out there uh, to learn. Like, you know, pick four to five, four to six films. That's it. Pick one or two developers, you know, master that. If you want to experiment more, go ahead. But, you know, uh, it, it can become very, very confusing. Do you have any advice for somebody that's kind of overwhelmed? with the with the film world well i'm telling exactly what you said right now okay. but uh yeah i say not don't don't choose five six films i say choose one one film one developer go for the most average like triax hp5 if it's black and white in color i just don't don't know anything about but uh those one of those two films just go shoot, feel how it feels to handle a film, how to how it feels to process. Because also, if you start with a film that is technically complicated, for example, a very low ISO or very high contrast, you might simply not like what you get. And then you think, oh, analog photography is not for me. So at first, I would advise a person something that will give a decent result. We're not talking about some curves some straight curves some tonality some whatever right. we're talking about having a guaranteed result and liking it yeah and then the experimentation will follow 100 percent. yes yeah. mm. excellent advice definitely yeah. excellent advice i had a excellent. lot of students who were uh 
trying to pick as their first film something like Fuji Across, which does not push, does not pull. You have to be spot on. You have to be in development, in exposure. Yeah. And then they were disappointed because other people who um, picked HP5, they were very happy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Across is my favorite film and it is a pain in the butt. But I love the, when when you work within the parameters of the film, Mm-hmm. I love the results I get from it. So that's why it's my favorite. But uh, yeah, 100%, 100% agree with you. Yeah. I just, oh, go ahead, Bill. Oh, yeah. I was just sort of thinking, Across has like been my historically was one of my favorite 100 ISO films, but I've sort of, sort of cottoned on. I sort of had that little adventure with uh, Orwo UN54, but that because of the, I don't know, ownership hiccup, uh, supply is a little iffy at the moment, but I've sort of rediscovered ADOC CHS 102. And, and again, I, I sprung for the, the FX 39 developer because historically my go-to was D76 or Ilfiltech HC or HC 110, but I switched to Ilfiltech HC just because I wanted an all, basically an all Ilford chemistry because that's what my stop and fix are to sort of keep it consistent. I fell in love with ADOC's 100 uh, CHS 100 again in FX 39. It was it's like, oh, this is what this is all about. Okay, yeah, Across 100 just got booted from the kit. I just wish I could find some of that in 120 because um, we have a distributor in Canada, unfortunately, and he is amazing for the community. But when he goes out of stock on something, he's out of stock for a while. <laughs> Is the shipping right now is really yes. really difficult because uh, yeah so, sorry I'll just tell, I think it's tell also why. a minimum order as well so he may be out of say I don't know we'll pick on CHS one hundred two he might be out of stock in that but he doesn't have enough of a dollar value to order to make it worth his while so he's just going to wait till you know he can then make it work for him. Well, it's quite. I think it's actually quite the opposite because if you order a lot, it means you have to go on a ship. Mm-hmm. And if you if he orders Rodinal or something, it's like hazardous. So oh, I know. he has to go on the ship. And go and getting a place on a boat in the past two and a half years has been the biggest challenge ever. Mm-hmm. This this is the problem. If he has Rodinal in the mix, that's it. It's not about anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, such is life. Because uh, I there's another film emulsion I haven't seen. I haven't really seen locally since uh, I call it the before times is burger Pancro 400. Like I did an order from photo impacts because even BH photo in New York was out of stock and they've had more on the way for almost a year now. <laughs> so I just said, ah, the hell with that. I'll just order from photo impacts, wait the month for DHL postal to send it to Canada. And there I've got and you got it. it. I got it eventually. And I think that's, going to be more because again it's yeah. it's getting it over and the chemistry stick to stuff that i i know and can get <laughs> yeah, have, well, you yeah. Found that, have you found that at your end as well like there are certain chemistry you'd like to use but you just can't find my husband is the owner of photo impacts oh i know <laughs> so I don't have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just pull it from inventory. <laughs> I actually don't. Uh, Adox products, yes, FX39. I have to admit, I do uh, get it from chemical mm-hmm. production. Uh, but I don't use all Adox uh, chemistry. For instance, when I'm in Italy, I just like supporting the store where I bought stuff before mm-hmm. I met my husband. So and then don't carry Adox. Actually, they should. I should talk to them. But they carry Ilford, so I'm just buying Ilford Stop and Fixer. Mm. And also, I really like Ilford Paper Developer Multigrade. It's my favorite. So that's the one I'm also ordering from them. Also, because I think they're, uh, I don't remember if the prices are that much cheaper. They have free shipping. <laughs> so mm. anyway, <laughs> I'm shopping just like I was shopping before. But in Europe, we simply don't have those problems because Ilford and Kodak Europe, they are all made in Germany, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're lucky in that regard because mm-hmm. we're kind of a little more, like we've got some, it's funny, in Canada, we don't have access to Clayton chemicals. 
mm. which is an American brand. And it's just, just no one brings it up. And thankfully, Sin Still has, you can get Sin Still uh, color chemistry, slide chemistry in Canada, which is great. Um, yeah. I don't they're know made in, because they're made in America. That's yeah, why they can it's all made in America. But it's like, again, here, it's like if you're to go into, we'll pick on my local favorite, James's Burlington Camera, and you've got Kodak, Ilford, maybe a re bottle, a re labeled bottle of Rodinol and Rolly Super Green developer. Plus Ilford print developers and related sundries, but it's just kept super simple because I just don't want to deal with direct importation and I can't blame them because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> Ask me how I know <laughs> from a previous career. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, got, I got to ask though, do you actually have any tips for working with Scala developer and what films would you recommend to use with them? Uh, roll eye films, apart from Scala films, roll eye films, because they're on a transparent base. They have inherent high contrast and they just look good as a slide. Um, and the main tip is actually how I figured out the bleach works best if you continuously agitate it. So don't do like 10 seconds, rest 10 seconds, or just continuously agitate it because it seems like the bleach is slightly mm, less liquid, uh, I guess, than the developers or whichever other chemistry usually is. So people often get this problem when they get that bleach to work at the edges, but then it just doesn't reach the middle. And I figured that it's best to just keep it flowing all the time. And then, then it works out. Or, that is or, kind of the main problem we're getting, yeah. but it's easily solved. Right. And otherwise, it's quite easy. I have a video where I'm explaining everything. But there you go. <laughs> Would you That's recommend so like a rotary processor for that, for the bleach processor? Oh, I just roll the tank on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I'm lazy. See, that's the problem. <laughs> oh, even for rolling on the table? Yeah, you know. Uh, James gets carpal tunnel syndrome really easily. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. So, I was um I was watching your um uh on your website the video where you had done your your book and and you had mentioned curtains. Uh and and that curtains and and um it struck me like um you know, like when you look through a curtain, it's almost like a filter to the world. Uh, and I was just curious because uh, I, I, I drew parallels towards portraiture for me and how that, you know, like we only present ourselves how we want other people to see us. And I know do you, like when you're shooting portraits and I, and, and one of my favorite portraits that I, I saw you, uh, uh, produce was of an old Russian woman. Um, I think it was with your Yashika D. No, it, no, no. It was with a four by five. Oh, it was a four by five. Okay. So yeah, it was yeah. a four by, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It was a large format camera. Yes. Um, and uh, do, do you think that your like portraiture and photography sort of removes that veil of how, you know, people want to be seen and how they truly are seen? Well, I can uh, speak from my experience, for example, with um, fashion photography, but it was digital. And mm -hmm. the, there, of course, I went for how people want to be seen. Definitely. Sure. Uh, if, it go, if it comes to analog, I, I have difficulties photographing people, mainly because I can make anyone look pretty on film. Actually, people are usually very happy with their portraits. It's just very difficult. Uh, to make a photo of a person to make sense. So what is there except the fact that you're looking at a person? I actually try avoiding people in my photographs. And <laughs> just two days ago, I saw the, I, I photographed the stadium in Cuba and there is like a tiny, tiny, tiny human figure somewhere super blurred in the first row, very far away. And I did not print it. Maybe I will, I still will. But it's just our brains are wired in a way that if we see a human, we are wired to see human figures, recognize them from miles and miles away, mm -hmm. even if it's a tiny blurry thing in the corner. And whenever there is a human, this human steals absolutely everything 
from the shot. So you have to have, I think, great, great mastery of the composition and be very creative in order to make portraits which are more than just portraits. Uh, it is relatively easy to find photogenic people. It's relatively easy to make even non-photogenic people look interesting because people think they are non-photogenic, but everyone is photogenic. There are no ugly people. It's just there is a good photographer has not approached them yet. But, okay, so this is easy, but then what else do you do, do you say with this? So right. I do occasionally shoot portraits. I just, I actually never show them because I, all, I never print them. That means, and that's why I never show them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but... I was doing this project. Actually, there is also a video on YouTube, but it's bad quality and it's my presentation from a thousand years ago. And I can't find the negatives. That's the problem because I wanted to print them. And it's eight by 10, a project that I did during a week in a small village in Russia in the mountains. And there I shot a lot of portraits. And I think there uh, they were not, of course, of a level of any artistic creativity, whatever. I just think... I want to. Sh- I wanted to show people how I saw them, but that's the problem. I usually see people very beautiful, <laughs> and I usually like people. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess it is slightly biased in that way. When I look at a person, I always want to show the best part of the person. I guess. Well, I think that's that's who you are as an artist. I think that probably that translates to your your uh your work with inanimate objects as well you you're you're gifted in finding the beauty in ordinary everyday things and that is something that um not very many people in this world have so you you have that gift for sure and it, it is uh your work is is it, it's stunning it, it's it's evocative I, wow I, well thank you i heard so many compliments today <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If you can't tell, we're big fans. <laughs> we are, yeah, big fans. You know, I mean, the, the the contribution you make to the to the analog photography world. I mean, it's just you know, I, I we couldn't you know, speaking on behalf of the whole photography world, we couldn't thank you enough. Uh, you know, oh, I know. It's it's uh, uh, it, it's most appreciated for sure. Wow, thank you so much. I really, I never thought it would, I I really never thought anyone would be telling me something like this. So thank you. We are, we are huge, huge fans. Absolutely. And there are more of us too. So you you Mm. definitely have created a following. So good for you. And congratulations. And congratulations on completing your master's too. Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah, thank you. But now I want a PhD. Well, hey, <laughs> never stop learning or paying for education. Right? Well, so, you yes. know, now I started learning chemistry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, Ooh. yes. Because um, at school, I was uh, saying true things. But, you know, it's like with this teenage arrogance, when you think you know everything about the world and you have, like I said earlier, a very informed opinion about everything, which is actually not even an opinion. Anyway. At this point, I was saying two things. I was saying, because I, w- I missed every single chemistry class. I just simply never went to a chemistry class. Uh, I was saying, I will never listen to Metallica because it's not music, it's noise. And uh, yeah, <laughs> did not work out. <laughs> um, and the second thing I was saying, I will never need chemistry in my life. I am. Why should I go to chemistry classes? I will never need it. Guess what? Fast forward 20 years, and here I am, like an idiot, with a school book. Yeah, <laughs> taking chemistry classes. Learning about chemistry, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I do have one question, and actually my girlfriend gave it to me because uh, she's also seen your uh, YouTube channel. And she has a background. Actually, her primary background is music. She She is a film photographer, but her primary background is music composition she has a strong background musical theater and she's asked asked me to ask you well my girlfriend joanne how has your photography informed your other creative pursuits oh i think that it was slightly the opposite i liked a lot of different creative things always my whole Mm -hmm. life it uh started with drawing painting 
Mm -hmm. I even considered at some point going to a design school and I was preparing for it and taking classes as uh, for painting. I was drawing a skull and all of this stuff, you know, to, to, to get ready for the future career, which clearly did not work out because I went to this school and I saw that there are people who are so much more talented than me. I simply just don't have the time, which was stupid because I, talent is nothing. Hard work is everything. But back then I didn't know this. Uh, so I saw those girls mainly, those were girls who were, I mean, drawing their whole life. And I was there drawing for like two years. So clearly we were not the same level, but this discouraged me a lot. I still like drawing, but of course it's unprofessional. Then I loved makeup. I went to makeup school. There was not that bad, I have to say. I just realized I like makeup on me, but not on other people. Uh, And uh, I was doing design handbags. Yeah, that was my other big passion. I was doing with leather, like cutting it mm-hmm. and sewing it together and all of this stuff. So yeah, it was, oh, I love serigraphy, screen printing. Oh my God, it's just, mm-hmm. I love it. And actually in this house, we're going to have a, a room for screen printing. I told my husband, you get your um, workplace with uh, tools and everything. And apart from the dark room, I want a screen printing room. And so I'm getting that. That's awesome. So, yeah. So That's I was cool. actually doing a lot of stuff, but none of this in depth. And then I found photography and then mm-hmm. everything else just simply faded away. I was also not the most talented. As I said, my first photographs, they were nowhere, like they were not creative. They were not deep. They were not anything except snapshots. And my first prints were not good, but I fell in love so much. It was just magical. When I processed my first role of film, I felt like I'm in my spot in the world. It's something else. I just thought, well, I have to be here. I have to be doing this. And it was so um, illogical, but I thought, okay, it was like with the blue hair, you know, I just have to have this. So <laughs> that's what I did. And I don't care whatever, whoever thinks. And back then, like you said, yeah, on YouTube, there was nothing on Instagram. Instagram didn't exist even. And uh, <sighs> Yeah, and then photography just pushed out everything because only with photography, I felt that what I'm doing matters, Hmm. even if I didn't know what I was doing. I guess it's something like fate or I don't know. It was just like photography chose me. I did not choose photography. It just Hmm. chose me and helped me and said, okay, you're not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't. Well, there you go. This is Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. Thank you, Lena, for spending uh, a part of, well, Sunday evening, your time. Uh, it is Sunday afternoon, still our time. And again, uh, it's, uh, stay cool and shoot tons of film. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on it. It was so great getting to chat with you. Uh, I I didn't actually have too many questions because I was like, I'm just going to listen to Lena talk. That's all I want. (laughs) Well, um, everything I have right now is thanks to the film community. Everything. Um, If not for the people who supported me online, because offline, who would support me? Mm -hmm. Most people didn't even know that analog photography existed or was a thing. And it's only thanks to people who were on Instagram, who were supporting me. And I thought, huh, maybe what I'm doing actually makes sense. I'm on YouTube and I posted things and they said, wow, you're helping and you're inspiring. And I thought, huh, okay, I guess I will continue this. Without this support, I wouldn't be doing anything. I would be, I don't know, a makeup artist. (laughs) (laughs) Or a very, very unsuccessful painter. Yeah, uh, that was excellent. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And um, you know, uh, customarily, it's our it's our tradition that um, you sign off with a with a um, a uh, a smart pun or a funny pun or a not so funny pun um, or something completely boring. So I'm gonna go, and then it'll give you some time to start, but uh, <laughs> or to think of one. <laughs> You know I'm not a native speaker, right? You know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, this is James Lee. Thank you, Lena, for, for joining us. Uh, you are truly inspirational. And, and I think one of the biggest inspirations that you've demonstrated for all of us is a journey starts uh, with a, a, a first step. And if you approach anything you do and everything you do with a positive um, uh, mindset, you will change people's lives. So keep on doing what you do. Thank you so much. And yes, uh, every long journey starts with the first ruined roll and the first horrible print, and then it only gets better. You got it. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So get out there and ruin your first roll of film. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is Jess Hobbs. I'm always the one to go after James, but at least he didn't have something funny to ruin anything I have to say. But honestly, thank you so much for being here, Lena. It was really great talking to you. And everyone else out there, just grab your cameras, grab some film or digital, whatever, your phone. Just get out there, shoot, enjoy what you're doing, ruin roles, and maybe you'll be the next Lena. <laughs> or you will be the next yourself. Or that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>